We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we are in this book, um, we are now finalizing, we're coming to the conclusion of this letter, of this epistle now. And we see here that Paul has been defending himself, his credibility, his integrity for all 12 chapters thus far. Separating himself from what is true and what is false. From the true apostles and also from false apostles. And if you have a, a, maybe a pen and a paper, if you like taking notes to continue to be a student of God's Word, I, I encourage you to write the title of today's message down because it is, Are You Walking the Talk? Are you walking the talk? How is your walk today? Because the answer to that question really determines whether or not you are right with God. Are you walking the talk? It's not enough just to come to church, but are you walking the talk? Are you right with God today? Are you right with God today? You see, Paul, after defending himself for many chapters now, he's been telling the church of Corinth, examine my life if you do not believe in my integrity, in my motives, in my intentions now. Examine me. Because you ought to know by now that Paul is walking the talk. Paul is walking the talk. But his ministry was associated with a lot of suffering that it made the church of Corinth doubt in him. Well, look at your life. You're, you're going through all these trials and tribulations. There's no way that you are a true apostle as the rest of these that, that are claiming to be something and drawing attention to themselves. Now Paul said, you know, I am a true apostle. And he did not want them to fall for the culture now or the cultural pressure or fall for the political correctness that was taking place in the world there in Corinth. Now we need to pause there and we must ask ourselves, we must really focus that in today's time, we don't fall for the cultural pressure of today. We don't fall for the political correctness of our time and that we stand for truth and the truth of God's Word. Because there's a lot of ideas, there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of now agendas out there in the world and we cannot fall for the cultural pressure that you must stand for this. Or you cannot stand or be pressured into a political agenda or correctness that, that now contradicts the Word of God. He's telling them, I do not want you to fall for these things. And church today, I want to tell you that this word is for today. Because I don't want you to fall for those things either. <laughs> Instead of being politically correct, let us make sure that we are biblically correct in the word of God. Now in the first half of chapter 12 of now 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, The strength of God is made perfect in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient for me. Now he's telling them. He's using every opportunity when they look at, into his life, when they're looking into his suffering as a lesson to teach them now the truth of the grace of God. Now just imagine if we as believers use every current event to point people back to Jesus. Now they are being led with a focus, with their eyes that are fixed on Christ and not on everything that's going around them. Now Paul said this, You know my suffering... Know that the grace of God fulfills all the lack in me. God has a purpose in every trial. God has provided strength for every trial as well. And here we see that Paul is concerned more 
about their spiritual walk than about his own physical needs. He puts their interests, their spiritual now uh, well-being before his comforts. And we're going to start to see in the second half of 2 Corinthians that yes, he wants to enjoy fellowship with them, but they were forcing him to discipline them. <laughs> you know, discipline is not, never something that's easy to apply. But he started to notice that the church of Corinth was a selfish church. They were very proudful now. They made it very difficult for Paul to minister to them because they did not trust Paul. You know, for every leader or pastor or servant of God, it is very difficult to minister to someone when they don't trust you. <laughs> and Paul is saying, you don't trust me and you're making it very difficult for you to grow spiritually because you do not trust in the leadership that I'm giving you. It's important that we trust the spiritual leadership that God has given us. That we trust it because God has appointed it for one thing, to allow us to be growing, edifying one another in the body of Christ. But although discipline and correction and exhortation and instruction is a way or is an evidence of love, we ought to know that. We ought to know that every time God disciplines us, every time the Lord now corrects us and instructs us in His Word, it is not to discourage us, where it's not for us to reject that correction. In fact, it is a sign of love. It is a sign of adoption that we are His children. And it is a way for us to continue to grow in the Lord. We must love and appreciate, receive the correction of God that comes through His Word. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, I'm going to read it to you. It says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? You're in the family of God. You are His son. You are His daughter. Therefore, my son, do not despise. Don't reject the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. <laughs> How many times... Oh, do we get maybe corrected by God and we easily become now, re we reject the instruction, we reject the correction, or maybe we become discouraged. He says, don't become discouraged when you are rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, and He scourges every son whom He receives. Discipline is something that we need in our lives. Whether you appreciate, whether you like it, whether it, it makes you comfortable or not comfortable, discipline is needed in our lives. In fact, we have to ask ourselves, have we been living a life of discipline lately? Are you living a life of discipline lately? Or are you lacking discipline in your own life? Is there discipline when it comes to your prayer life, when it comes to your walk with God, that now you can't walk the talk because of lack of discipline, and we become very sloppy in our spiritual walk? We enter compromise in our spiritual walk because of lack of discipline? Here in 2 Corinthians, the later half that we're going to read right now, what Paul is doing is he's preparing the church to meet in person again because he's been away from them. And it's so relevant for us today. Maybe we've already even started meeting physically, but are we ready spiritually to be the body of Christ and continue to function as we're called to do in the Word of God? He said, I'm preparing you to meet again. This is my pre-gathering message. This is exciting. The pre-gathering message, the conclusion now, before I meet you face to face, before I meet you in person, are you spiritually ready together to meet again? Are you spiritually ready for that? Now here we're going to see three things. We're going to see number one, the signs that he is a true apostle again. The signs of what? Of truth in the life of Paul. The signs that he is a true apostle, number one. You're going to see the evidence that his love is genuine. 
evidence that he has a genuine love. And then also finally we will also see in this chapter that he is edifying the church of Christ. He's always edifying the church of Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it speaks to us, Lord, that we ought not to fall, that we ought not to follow the cultural pressure or the political correctness, that we ought to know the difference and discern truth from false. And we thank you that Paul exhorts us to walk the talk. We ask, Lord, for discipline in our lives, for consistency in our lives, for integrity in our lives, for holiness in our lives for today. In Jesus' name, the church together said, Amen. It says this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 11. Notice this, verse 11. I have become a fool. Look, this is what he says. I have become a fool in boasting or speaking of myself. And you have, you have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended by you. For nothing I was behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Verse 12. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what, it, what is it in which you were inferior to the other churches? Except that I myself was not a burdensome to you. Forgive me this, in this wrong. Now what is it that Paul is doing here as he's demonstrating the signs of a true apostle from verse 11 to 13? Notice how he says, Now you have compelled me to speak about myself and I feel like a fool. <laughs> you see, he notices and he starts by saying this, I, you force me, you compel me to speak about myself only to prove now my heart to you or my heart for you now. And as you force me to speak about myself, I feel selfish. I feel like an ambitious man with a selfish agenda, although that is not the case. I wish I could have spent my time speaking about Christ. However, you have forced me to speak about myself. You have compelled me now so that I can prove that my ministry and the nature of my ministry was authentic, that I love you, that I was sincere for you. You see what he's doing here, what Paul is doing? He's showing them, I truly love you, and I don't come to rip you off like the other apostles. There's too many things, too many teachings, too many ideas, too many things going out through the media that just want to rip off the church of Christ. And hear what Paul is saying, you have forced me to speak about myself. Even He even goes to the point in verse 11 is saying, I, I, I have just loved you the whole time, and in nothing I am less than all the other false apostles, and nothing I am less than them. In fact, he says here, you ought to, ought to be writing me a letter of commendation. In fact, you ought to be supporting what I'm doing. Instead, you are questioning my motive. You see how important this is for us to realize now that what he's saying here, Paul, is saying you are being influenced by false apostles and you have forced me to call them out and to define now the authenticity of my ministry and to speak about myself. He says in verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished. In fact, I want you to remember that I did the true signs of an apostle. I did these miracles. The power of God was working in me. I have proven to you by evidence now, accomplishing these signs and wonders that the apostles did in the book of Acts. You see them all around you. Don't you see the real live evidence that I'm, when I'm with you now, these acts, these miracles, these wonders now are supported by the power of God. So you know that this is a work of God. This is not a work of man. 
You see, what was taking place is that the apostles of this time were drawing people to themselves. And that was about my title, my now name, my following, my influence. And slowly they were leading people away as they were leading people to themselves. You know, people are so concerned and interested in influence today. They are. And influence today, but they are not concerned in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or taking people now to Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, you have to understand that they don't really desire your well-being, but, we, but I do. And the ministry of those that come with me as well, it is a true ministry. It's authentic. It's real. We love you. You can trust it. You can trust it. Are you sure of why you believe what you believe? Can you trust it? Do you know that these people have the best interests in mind when you receive the ministry? Now, this is exactly what he's saying. And he says, you know that I've accomplished among you with all what? With all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I have shown you through evidence, not only through evidence that I love you, but I've also shown you through perseverance. You want to know how you know someone really loves you? Not only through the evidence and the acts and what they show you and by their actions now, but you realize that they love you by their perseverance. By their perseverance, it really measures the amount of love. It's been said before, you realize the depth of love by the length of the patience others are willing to demonstrate. You realize the depth of love of someone by the amount of patience that they're willing to demonstrate. Now Paul is saying, not only did I demonstrate through these evidences of miracles and signs that I really loved you, but also you saw my perseverance that I didn't give up on you. You saw that I was there. In fact, you saw that I wasn't inferior in any way. Verse 13. For what is it in which I was inferior to the other churches? So you weren't inferior in any way. You weren't less in any way. You were still being taught the, every single doctrine. You're still being taught the truth, it says, than, and to the other churches. In fact, the only thing that I refuse to do, here Paul is saying, is I refuse to receive a financial compensation from you. Now the other apostles were receiving, were ripping people off, were taking their money. And Paul is saying, I refuse to take any money from you because I did not want to mix now. I didn't want you to misinterpret now my motives when it came to ministering to you. And he goes and he tells them this, for, it, for I, I was now a burdensome to you, forgive me this wrong. <laughs> and it becomes sarcastic right now. Now if you think, that me not receiving any monetary compensation, Paul is saying, from you like everyone else is receiving, it disqualifies me from being a true apostle, then please forgive me because that's the only thing that I have refused to do and everything else I have given you the truth. Now why did Paul do that? Because he was not attracted to his own personal comfort. He was attracted, he was committed to his calling. Notice throughout the entire time that you see Paul's life, you see a man that was not attracted to comfort. He was committed to calling. He put calling over comfort. There are a lot of times today in a, the society that we live in is that we put comfort over calling. And we come, become very comfortable that we never grow now to the full stature and maturity that God has for us and has designed for us because we choose to be comfortable. Paul is saying, no, I'm going to relinquish those benefits and those privileges of ministry. I'm going to give those up, that comfort up, those privileges up, because I choose my calling and I choose their spiritual benefit over my personal comfort. 
Do you see how he's so interested in others? He puts others above themselves, above himself. And he goes on in verse 14, as we continue reading, he says, Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burdensome to you. I'm going to come to you, but notice this. This is going to be the third time. But I will not be a burden to you. Notice that. I'm going to come to serve. I'm not going to come to be served. I'm not going to come to see what I can get out of you. I'm going to come to see what I can give you. That's the attitude of a servant. I'm going to come for the third time. And I'm not going to be a burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours. Notice this. But you. You always know when someone truly loves you. When they're not coming to see what they can take from you. But they want to spend time with you. Do you see how important that is? I don't seek what you have. I seek fellowship with you. I'm not coming to take from you. I'm coming to invest in you. And that's exactly what he's teaching. I don't seek what's yours. I'm not going to be a financial burden to you. In fact, I, I desire fellowship with you. And that's the testimony of a godly leader. That's a testimony of a Christian that desires to come to people and saying, you know what, I I'm going to fellowship with you and I don't come to see what I can get from you or from God's people. I desire to see how I can serve God's people. That's exactly the mentality of a shepherd that Paul has here, not of a hireling that wants to get hired on to see what the benefits that he can reap from the people of God. That is not his mentality. He comes because He loves them. He comes because He wants to spend time with them. He doesn't come to take. He comes to give. That's the heart of Jesus. Notice that the whole ministry of Jesus was that. I want to come and give. For God so loved the world, He gave. And the entire ministry of Christ was in Him giving His life sacrificially to us. Love is not in what you take from people. Love is how you're willing to sacrifice for them. Notice that. Love is not what you get from someone. Love is how you can give to them and how you can sacrifice from them. That is the heart of Christ. Now verse 14, notice what he says. Now I don't seek what's yours, but I seek you. I'm in it for you. I'm interested in your well-being. For the children ought to, not ought to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now he gives them an example. Children don't go to parents and say, how can I support you parents You know, as they're growing up? How is it that I can support you? Or parents then go to children and say, Hey, you know what? I, I, well, I need you to help us out and we need uh, you know, money to pay the bills. No. The parents are there to, uh, to provide for the children. The parents are there to raise up the children. In fact, he uses a specific illustration to demonstrate, Hey, I care about your spiritual well-being as a parent that wants to raise up the children and is not depending upon the children. In fact, I want you to depend upon me. I want you to lean in on how I'm serving you. You see what an example he's doing here as a spiritual father? I don't want you to support me. I'm here to support you. And he's teaching us here. Paul is teaching us to serve those that are rejecting you. <laughs> now that is a very tough thing to do. That's like the Sermon on the Mount. These people were rejecting Paul. However, Paul still served those that rejected him. What do you do when people are rejecting you? Does your attitude change? Does your perspective change? Do you want to quit? Do you want to say, you know what? Well, they're not appreciating me. They don't value what I do for them. You know what? I've been doing this for so long. I just want to quit now. I want to give up because the more that I love them, the less they love me. I want to throw in the towel. They don't care. They don't value anything that I do now. No, Paul is teaching us here as a spiritual father. He's saying, we're going to love those that don't value what we do. We're going to continue to persevere and pursue service 
as an act of love, as sacrificial service the way Christ would do it. And we're not going to be resentful. And we're not going to be resentful. It is very easy to become very resentful and have a hard heart to those that you serve when you realize the lack of gratitude that they have for your service. And you start to say, well, why am I going to serve them if they don't appreciate what I do? And your heart becomes hard and bitter and resentful. You see, that is not the attitude that God wants for you. In fact, notice the very next verse. And it says, and I will, look at this verse. It says, very gladly spent. <laughs> he doesn't say, and I will spend with anger or reluctancy. He doesn't say, I'm going to spend with, with now, uh, you know, an attitude of pride. He says, I will very gladly, underline the word gladly in your Bible. Because it says, I will do it with a good attitude. I will do it with a joy. Even when you reject me, I will do it with joy. I will do it in a, in a form of now serving other people. What does Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 tell us? What did Paul tell us then? Do everything, do all things without what? Complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do it gladly, do it willingly, do it with joy, do it with generosity, do it with love and selflessness and sacrifice. Do all things without complaining. It's so easy to start to complain when you realize that those that you are serving don't appreciate you and you start to complain about them. Or you start to argue, you start to want to win an argument or, or win a position. But look what he says here in verse 15. He's not resentful. I will verily gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Not only am I going to support myself financially because I don't want to receive from you on my third journey to you as he's preparing them to me again. But he said, I will very gladly, with joy, I will support myself for you financially. But not only that, I will be spent. Not only will I spend, but I will also be spent. Are you completely now spent for the sake of service? What does that mean to be spent? Here what here he's speaking about is I will completely empty myself for you. It goes far beyond a financial now responsibility that he's assessing towards himself. But he's saying not only am I going to support myself, I will also be spent for you. I will empty myself. It, it, it's the willingness now to the point to give his life sacrificially to, the, to them, all his love, all his energy, beyond the, just spiritual, the, the financial responsibility that he's assessed. And he's saying, I'm so committed, I'm so dedicated to you, I will be spent for you. When was the last time that you wanted to serve someone? He's saying, I, I'm so interested in your soul. I'm interested in your soul that I'm willing now to sacrifice and to be spent now for your soul, for your well-being with the Lord. Notice how he uses that word in verse 15. For your souls. We're here for souls now. Every act of love, every sacrifice that you do, everything that we do when we come to serve the Lord, what do we do it for? We do it for souls. Why? Because it's important. How important is souls to you? How important is it leading someone to the Lord? When was the last time that you led someone to the Lord? When was the last time you said, I'm willing to sacrifice for the cause of leading someone else to the Lord because I'm interested in investing in the souls of people to lead them to Jesus? See, the most important thing about us is our soul. And you have to ask yourself, how, are the, how is my soul? Am I right with God? And how is the souls of those that I'm investing in? 
Notice that he says this, for your soul. And he continues here in this verse 15. It says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? The more that I love you, the more that I'm interested in your soul, the more that I'm interested in your well-being. I sense the lack of gratitude. I sense the lack of reception on your behalf. For my love and for my sacrifice, for everything that I'm doing, it seems that the more abundantly that I'm loving you, the less that I am loved by you now. And he doesn't feel loved here. He's maybe hurt by that. But just because he doesn't feel loved, doesn't mean he stops serving them. I'm going to say that again because we need to hear that. Just because he doesn't feel loved by them, doesn't mean he stops serving them. There are a lot of times in ministry or in life, when you're dealing with somebody in your household or at work, that you feel their rejection, that you're saying, all right, I'm going to give up, I'm going to quit on them, I'm not going to persevere, because it seems like everything that I do for them, they are just rejecting me. Now, Paul is teaching us something here. He's saying, I understand that even the more that I love you, the less that you love me. And this is what sacrificial service means. It doesn't give up on me, people. It is patient now, and it continues to serve now. I'm going to ask you today, when you feel unappreciated by people, when you know that they're rejecting what you're doing for them, do you still serve them the same way? Do you still desire to stay there and be next to them to serve them now? Because there's something interesting about the human heart, that the more that you give people, the less they respect you. <laughs> the more that you love them, the less that they appreciate you. The more that you spend time with them sometimes, the more that the less that they value you. Here specifically, they didn't appreciate the pastoral work, the admonition that Paul the Apostle was giving to them. What did he tell the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12? He says, And I urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and those who are over you in the Lord and, and admonish you that you would esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, but be at peace among yourselves. There are those that are going to serve you, those that are going to lead you. He tells them, I want you to treat them with respect and appreciate their work and their labor of love for you. Notice how he's teaching them now the reception of the love that they should have. What is, does Paul quit? Does Paul give up? He continues to serve sacrificially. He says, but be that as it may, verse 16, I did not burden you, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. Now what is he saying here? See that Paul is speaking directly to the issue. And he says, you know what, guys? Church, Corinth, I, I was never a burden to you. And some of you even said that I was trying to trick you. Then I was, when I was asking for offerings for the poor church in Jerusalem, some of you said that I was trying to be deceptive and taking those funds from me. Or some of you saying that I was tricking you, that I was deceiving you, that I was setting you up for, for now failure, that I didn't really care about you. And in fact, in the New Living Translation, it reads this verse like this. Some of you admit that I was not a burden to you, but others still think I was sneaky now or snaky and took advantage of you by trickery. Now Paul is saying here in verse 16 that he never looked to deceive people. He said, look at my life, examine my life. Verse 17, did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Did I ever take advantage of you? you see, he loved them, so he didn't want to do one thing. He didn't want to take advantage of people. He wanted to say, I'm going to be spent. I'm not going to take advantage. I'm going to be emptied for them. I'm not going to use people for their gifts. I'm going to use my gifts to minister to people. You see, in a hurting world, what we need to do as a church, this is exactly what we need to do, is we need to minister to those that are hurting. 
Not look for those to come and, and give us uh, 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 now a respect or a, a service to us or, or look at us to now come and, and, and treat us in some way as if we were above. No, but we're looking to say, how can the church minister to the needs around us? How can we share the love of Christ? He's saying, I, I've never taken advantage of you. Verse 18, notice he says, Not only have I not, but also those that have come with me have never taken advantage of you. He was blameless in his ministry. He had integrity in the ministry. None of the leadership was there in it to see what they can take from people. And he says, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did Titus or the brother that we sent, did any of them rob you or take anything from you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did he not walk in the same steps? Notice his walk. It was a walk of integrity. It was a walk that couldn't be misunderstood. It was a walk that, that was above reproach. It was a, a walk that was blameless now. He's saying, none of us here have taken advantage of you. We've never taken anything from you. We've all walked in unity in the same steps, with the same heart, with the same vision, looking always now to build up the body of Christ. We were united in the way that we did ministry. Other people took advantage of them, but not Paul and the co-labors. They didn't look to abuse the people. They loved them and they put their needs above their own interests. Putting the needs of people above his own interests. Now notice finally in verse 19 to 21 as we continue reading, he's going to tell us how he did everything for the edifying of the body of Christ. He was motivated by love. Are you motivated by love today? Or are you serving people? Are we in it to see what we can get from them? Are you motivated by love? Because in verse 19, look what it says. Again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? Do you think that I'm saying this? Do you think that I've been talking about all this to try to defend myself and excuse myself of everything? No, I'm not doing that for that reason. I'm not defending myself. I actually know that everything that I say, I say it before God. I'm held accountable before God. And it tells us this in verse 19. 19 it says, We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Just circle that in your Bible. We do all things for your edification. Verse 19, he already tells us, instead, we're speaking before God. We are accountable before God. God knows that we're not lying to you. God knows that we've always been sincere. God knows that we never look to trick you. We are Christ's servants and God is our witness. God is our judge. He bears witness that what we're saying is true. We're confident in this, that everything that we do, beloved, all things that we do here in verse 19, look what he says, beloved or loved ones, we do for your edification. We do to strengthen you. We do it to build you up. That word edification is a very strong word. It means love always seeks to edify. Love doesn't seek to prove a point. Love seeks to edify. And edification means we seek to love you. And everything we do, we do it to build you up. It's almost like a foundation now that you look to now build a strong foundation. He's saying everything that we're doing is so that you can have a strong foundation. How does your foundation look today? Your spiritual foundation. You see, in moments like the moments that we're living in today, it's so important that we have the right foundation. There are often times that we've heard, you're seeing, you may be looked at. A building with a weak foundation. And in the midst of chaos, that building with a weak foundation will fall. 
But that building with a strong foundation, guess what? Will stand the test of time and the trial. Now he's talking to them here about their foundation. He says, everything that we've been doing with the discipline, with the correction, with the instruction, calling out what's false and what's true, has been just to show you that we love you because we're doing it for your building up. We're doing it for your foundation. We're doing it for your spiritual growth. We're doing it for your own good. You see, Jesus always had the same style. I love that. That Jesus always looked to edify and to build up, to set a strong foundation for people. In fact, he's saying, your foundation is so important so that me and you, when we meet again, we're not in the sins that we used to be in. Do you understand why building a foundation is so strong? He's going to explain here in verse 20 and 21 that the foundation is so strong so that you don't go back living like you used to live. When you have a weak foundation and things start to shake in your life, you're going to go back to those things that you struggled with before. And you're going to start to live a life that God delivered you from already. And He already had written him one letter saying, Hey, you guys are living in sin. You're living in selfishness and pride. We need to repent. And he's saying, I've been looking for your spiritual foundation to build you up. So that I'm afraid of one thing, Paul is saying. I'm afraid that when I come back and that when we meet again in person, you are still living in the sins that I told you about and I called you out in now in the letter before. Notice what he says here in verse 20. For I fear less. This is Paul, a man that had no fear. A man that only feared God, he says, this is what I'm afraid about. This is what I'm concerned about. That you've never grown. <laughs> I'm concerned that you haven't grown. I I'm concerned that I won't find what I like when I go and that you won't like my response as well either. In fact, he says in verse 20, I fear when I come, I shall find you such as I w wish that, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. You see, I, I'm going to come and I find you in a way that I don't wish to find you in. And you're going to find my response to that behavior in a way that you don't want to receive my response. He's afraid that the church was still living in a worldly state, on a worldly style of thinking, with the fruits of the flesh and of division. And he's going to name them. He's going to call them out. He said, I, I'm very afraid that when I come back to you, you're still living in a spiritual immaturity and you haven't grown up. You know, it's so important that for us that are receiving the Word of God every day, it's not only about receiving the Word of God, it's about growing in the Word of God. It's not only about receiving the message today, but it's also about applying the message. It's about growing in the message. The message has not finished until you have applied it in your life. And I want to ask you today, really, how will you be found by the Lord when we meet again? Because Paul here is speaking to them. He said, when I find you, Will there be any spiritual fruit? Or when I find you, are you, are you still going to be stuck now in your old sins? Notice what he's saying here. Shall I be found by you here in, in a way that, that I don't want to find you in? And will you find me in a, such a manner in which you don't, you don't want to receive me that way? Verse 20 he says, lest there be, this is the kind of behavior that he's calling out. Notice verse 20. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambition, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. This is all in the church. I don't want to come back to the church. And I don't want to find any of these behaviors in the believers. I don't want to come back and know that you're just living the same life that you lived before you came to Christ. 
I don't want to come back to the church and see that you have not been transformed in your life. Coming to Christ, you know what it means? It means that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. He's forgiven you of your sins. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you live a new life. And here what he's saying, I want to know that for certain you're living that new life. That you are now still with backbitings. What are backbitings here? These whisperings now. What is it that he's talking about? Well, let's go by them one by one as he's mentioning there in verse 20. Lest there be contentions. What are contentions? Divisions. The body of Christ, what does God love? God loves addition in the body of Christ. God sometimes even loves subtraction now in the body of Christ. But God hates division in the body of Christ. God hates division. And here what he's talking about, he's saying, lest there be contentions. I don't want to find that there are contentions around you, that there's backbitings now. Look what he says, jealousies, that there's division. Our world is so divided. And we mentioned it even last week right now. It's so divided. And in order for the world to minister to the church, to minister to the world, it needs a church that is united. That's why in the church there should not be these behaviors. It says jealousy or outburst of wrath. What is an outburst of wrath? This, this anger or these gossips, this, this attitude of pride now. The, the pride, the selfishness, the division should not exist in the body of Christ. He's saying, or selfish ambition now. A disorderly behavior, backbiting, whispering, conceits, or tumults now. I should not find any of this behavior in the church, here Paul is saying. And you should not find it among us. Because we ought to grow out of these behaviors. And saying, yes, these are things that we battle with our flesh. But however, we are not dominated any longer in this behavior. I'm not going to go and speak bad about my brother or my sister. I'm not going to come with an attitude of pride or with selfishness or anger. Or, or speak bad about that person that is at church. There's not going to be that division in my heart now. This is exactly what he's talking about. And he's calling out the fruits now of carnality or the fruits of the flesh now. He's saying you ought to be living in the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit you don't possess on your own. It's the power of God that gives you the love, the joy, the peace, and the patience now. But it's as you're sowing into the Word of God. As you're sowing into prayer, God is changing your life. And, and it's important to ask yourself, what have you been sowing into lately? Are you spending time in the Word of God today? That you're saying, Lord, I cannot wait. I'm ready to meet you again. I'm so ready to meet again, Lord. Because I'm sowing into now the Word of God. I'm sowing into prayer. And you will find me with the fruits of the Spirit. Here, Paul is saying, I am scared that I'm going to find you in such a way that it's going to demonstrate compromise in your life. How will God find us? In fact, verse 21, as he ends, he says, Lest when I come again, when we meet again, it says, My God will humble me. I will be humiliated. <laughs> Before you now, he says, He will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many. I'm going to be grieved. I'm going to be saddened for many. Because of the pain that sin is causing in their life now, I'm going to mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness. See, there was a lack of repentance in the church. He's saying, or have you repented? He's asking them. Because I'm afraid that when I come, I'm going to be sad. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to be grieved now. That you have not repented from your prior sins. That you have repented from your uncleanness. That you're still living in your own sin. Do you see the shepherd's heart that he's really concerned about them? He's not asking for perfection. 
Now, a lot of times we see, well, man, they, they think that I'm supposed to be perfect at church, or they think that I'm supposed to be, you know, I can't struggle with these things. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for repentance. And the Lord today is asking the church for repentance now. And He's telling them, not only have you rejected me, not only have you rejected my message, but you've also rejected the Lord in disobedience that I'm coming again and it's going to grieve me to receive and to know that you still not have repented from the old things that you've been struggling with. Uncleanliness. And what does He speak about here in this verse, verse 21? He's talking about any kind of sexual type of sin as well. Why have you not repented from that? Why are you still now grieving the Holy Spirit over these sins? You know that when we sin, we mourn and we grieve the Holy Spirit? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has sealed you, has marked you, has guaranteed you, has set you aside for the day of redemption. But we grieve the Holy Spirit. We, we grieve the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we begin to sin. You know what that means when you grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit exalts or serves to exalt Jesus in our lives. But when we fail to exalt Jesus in our lives, we grieve the Spirit of God. And then there's no power in your life anymore. Are we grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or are we ready in repentance, ready to receive the Lord? Ready to meet with Him? Notice how he says that as we continue to read. It says, you haven't repented of uncleanliness, of fornication, and lewdness, which they have practiced. We have to ask ourselves today, what are some of the things that we practiced before in the world that we are still dabbling with? That maybe we're still messing with? Are there any areas in our hearts of unrepentance? Any bitterness, any resentment in our hearts of unrepentance? Here Paul is saying, you know what, I really love you. I've always loved you. Notice my ministry has been authentic and real. And he tells them in chapter 12, but I'm afraid that when we meet, you are still going to be in bondage to the sins that you have, should have been now freed from through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to grieve and I'm going to mourn because of that. We have to ask ourselves today and really check our hearts and say, am I really walking the talk? Am I really walking the talk? Or are there areas in my life that I still need to repent from? Is there any anger, any pride, any selfishness that I need to repent from? Maybe any bitterness that I need to repent from today. Because it would be a shame that we come to church and we leave with unrepentance. In fact, the reason why we come to the house of God is because we want to repent from now the sins that we're struggling with and say, Lord, make me a person after your heart. Change me. Change my life. That's what the gospel does. It changes your life. That's what you come to the cross for. For repentance. We don't come just to look at the cross. We don't come just to observe the cross. We come to receive forgiveness at the cross. And to repent at the cross. And repentance is not something you do one time. Repentance is a daily act. that we can say, Lord, I want to repent from that every single day. Because I don't want to go back to that. And here Paul is saying, I know that some of you are just going back to the things that you used to live with. Are you going back to the things that you used to live with? Let's go ahead and pray right now as we ask the Lord that He would give us the strength to continue in repentance. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, Jesus. We thank You, Lord, because here Your servant Paul is calling out the church. 
And he's saying, I'm afraid. Even after all the love that I've given you. Even after all the care that I've given you. That you are still battling with these old sins and you haven't repented from them. <clears throat> 